sing till earth and What you're hearing here is the sound of a once broken community coming together in remembrance of the atrocities of the 1920 Election Day Massacre. It's Sunday, November 8th, 2020, and the group standing at the southeast corner of Bill Breeze Park in Ocoee reflect the city as it is now, diverse in race, socioeconomic status, and so forth. In this moment, as they sing Lift Every Voice and Sing, also known as the Negro National Anthem, all eyes are on the new historic marker that is lit by two lights buried in the earth. It's an honoring of those affected by the massacre, following a week's worth of remembrance events. It's also, in part, an attempt to help the community heal and move forward. While this is a big moment for the city, it took time, decades, in fact, to make happen. Hey y'all, this is Troy Herring, and welcome to Full Circle. In last week's episode, I talked a little about the Akoi Massacre of 1920, and how its muddled history has made it impossible to tell the full story. But now we're going to look at how the massacre affected the community in the years following, and how the city is now looking to remember the past while moving into the future. Though before we start, as a reminder, as always, this story deals with racial violence and racism. So we're going to be looking at all of this in its historical context. With that said, welcome to the third and final episode of our podcast, A Century Removed, Truth and Reconciliation of the 1920 Akoi Massacre. It's estimated that there were about 280 people in the black community in Ocoee, 26 of which were landowners, before the events of Election Day 1920. Land owned by black residents spanned over 368 acres and included 44 properties at the time of the massacre. Over the course of the following six years, the land and property owned by black individuals vanished. In the land deed research conducted by Pam Schwartz and the Orlando Regional History Center, the property owned by black residents in 1920 today would have been valued at more than $9 million. Although many people believe the black community left that day following the massacre, in reality, that process took several years, and many of those who fled have property in the surrounding area. And that's simply not true. It took several years. The community did fight back. The community tried to stay and keep their property, but the violence uh, was sort of ongoing. And we have another portion of the exhibit that talks about the next July and August ongoing acts of terror trying to push the black community out. And uh, according to a lot of land deed research, we find that people are still there and are owning land in Ocoee for at least six years after the event happens. Mm -hmm. But by 1930, There were only two black individuals noted in the census in the community, and those are people who are are servants in a a white household. While property is a way to map the true decimation of a community, what haunts some folks, like Ocoee Commissioner George Oliver, is that the existence of the black community living in Ocoee at that time, including those who were killed that night, will largely be lost to time. There was several generations of folks that was wiped out or ran away and and never told anybody else about it. So 
there's no birth record, there's no birth certificates, because you understand in 1920, African-American, even though, even though they were doing very well, you have to understand that the processes that, that some Caucasian communities would, would uh, go through when it comes to their birth and recording birth records and recording uh, the, fa the fact that this person was born here, this date, this time, uh, was not prevalent in the African-American community. Again, you had the midwives, and we were not really big on documenting who was born and, and uh, how many children were born or whether they had twins or not. And so now when you, when you, when you get to the Accord Massacre and you have these, uh, these racist mobs of, of terroristic murderers that went through a community, um, no one was really trying to, to keep, keep any records or let me get, you know, here's a fire in the house to get our records, you know, no. There was no records to, to be gotten. It was just my family living here in this house with my cousins and uh, my uncles and aunts and, and everybody here, eight families under one roof, and, um, and we were forced to leave in the middle of the night. So you have to look at it from a perspective of there are people that was born during that time, sometime in the maybe late, late 1800s or early 1900s, and lived in Okoye that was either killed or ran out of Okoye, and, and there's no record of them ever being there, of being born there. So it is almost as if they never existed. The violence against the black community that remained the next couple of years continued. And there was instances of dynamite being thrown through people's windows. And there's even one story that features the brother-in-law of one of the most well-known victims of the Okoye massacre. Um, after Okoye, I had mentioned ongoing terror. In July and August of the next year, 1921, the white community essentially had not done what they'd set out to do, which was to clear out the black community because they remained. So there's... Uh, actually uh, people who are found guilty of white people of throwing dynamite into black people's homes. Uh, they take a man by the name of George Betsy, who happens to be July Perry's brother-in-law. He's living in Paramore at the time. He's called in on an anonymous tip for bootlegging liquor. He is taken from the police who are arresting him, happens to be some of the same police officers that were involved with July Perry in Ocoee. And he, so he's taken by this lynch mob. He's found the next day brutally beaten, stripped naked, painted red and white striped with a bag over his head, tied to a pole. And he had been told he'd been speaking a little too much about what had happened at Ocoee last November. That tells us there is an ongoing effort to A, get rid of the black community, to terrorize them, but to also cover up what had happened. In the decades that followed, the city of Ocoee became a sundown city. The all-white community became a threatening place for black people to travel through and it wasn't until the 1970s when black individuals once again lived in the city. Even when members of the black community began to return, however, there were still tensions. In a wall-length quote in the exhibit hall at the History Center, Timothy James, whose family moved to Ocoee in the early 1980s, reflected on what it was like for his family. Quote, While we were living in Apopka, we were very comfortable until we moved to Ocoee. That transition was almost like sticking your finger in an electrical socket. I mean, we were really almost traumatized at the way people treated us just for being black. That was a wake-up call at that time where we thought we were being punished and didn't know why." Unquote. It was later in the decade 
1989 that a group of businessmen decided to form the West Orange Reconciliation Task Force. Its primary objective was to hold an annual event to commemorate the memory of what had taken place in 1920. The hope was that this group would honor the memory of those black lives lost and heal a community haunted by its past. Instead, it ended up doing the opposite, said William Bill Maxwell, chair of the city's Human Relations Diversity Board. They felt that would create an awareness within the community that would give an appreciation. But in reality, it really did not create much of an appreciation. As a matter of fact, a lot of dissension grew out around the fact of, and I've heard the, the statements made numerous times by local people, well, why do y'all keep bringing it up? Why don't you just let it go, let it be, and move on? And that's a valid question for anyone who doesn't have anything or who, who didn't lose anything in the process of it. For years, the city avoided the 1920 massacre with the notion that it had happened decades ago, and there was no need to discuss it any further. But thanks to the hard work by the West Orange Reconciliation Task Force, the city of Ocoee, via Resolution 2003-21, gave birth to the Human Relations Diversity Board on September 16, 2003. The board is comprised of all volunteers and serves as a conduit to the city in relation to matters of racial equality and race relations. As the years passed, nothing was being done to remember the massacre. But in January of 2018, Maxwell wrote an update briefing and presented it to the commission with words that something needed to be done. The city was then approaching its 100th anniversary of the massacre and in the time span from 1920 to 2018, the city had 15 mayors come and go without any sort of action to remember the massacre. I explained to them that, you know, we're coming into a period, this would have been December of 2017, uh, early January 2018. We're coming into a season, guys, where all of those things that were done by your predecessors are going to come back to haunt you. So this is your wake-up call. You need to, and I enumerated several things, and sort of got looked at like, right, that's exactly what we're going to do, Maxwell. We're going to run right out and do this. As it turned out, 2018 would be a turning point for Akoi as it related to the city's acknowledgement of the massacre, as well as the city's first step of a diversified commission. In March 2018, Oliver became the first black individual to win a seat on the Ocoee City Commission. When we, when we put it in perspective, my win was more symbolic to most uh, African-Americans in Ocoee, and it was, um, would be considered to be redemptive, like a redemptive blood of those that died for the right to vote. Uh, and now there is a hundred years, almost a hundred years later, 98 years later, there is someone that looks like them that is in a leadership position in the city. So for me, when I ran, I was really not, I wasn't really focused on the fact that I was a black man or being the first. That was not really my aim at all. That just happened to be a caveat, or, or that was like the icing on the cake. 
But for me, the focus was the citizens of Okoy. The focus was uh, the city deserving better and moving the city forward uh, in a manner that we can uh, have something to leave our children. So that was really kind of my focus. A year later, in 2019, Oliver would be joined on the commission by Larry Brinson, a retired U.S. Marine who served his country for more than 20 years. So now, almost 100 years later, two black men occupy seats in the highest form of government in the city. In April 2018, the Equal Justice Initiative's National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which memorializes the more than 4,400 black men, women, and children who were victims of racial violence, opened in Montgomery, Alabama, and the Selma-born Maxwell decided he was going to go. After getting approval from the city, Maxwell traveled with a small group, which included current Akoi Mayor Rusty Johnson, to Montgomery to take in the museum and the events taking place. By the end of the trip, each member walked away with a new perspective, and it was then when Johnson told them to begin plotting out ideas for what could be done. What the HRDB came back with was an agenda that would dedicate the first week of November, from Sunday, November 1st to Sunday, November 8th of 2020, to putting on programs and events to honor those lost in the massacre while educating the public. enough for the victims for my great-grandfather Valentine Hightower and That's Dr. John Peterson speaking at the final remembrance event put on by the city on Sunday, November 8th. But unfortunately racism and hatred and what happened in this massacre not only happened to the victims but it happened to every descendant, and it will go on for generations and generations to come. That's the tragic thing about when we take actions, because actions don't only affect us, it affects all the generations to come. He, along with a small handful of other descendants, were on hand for the event and they were honored by the city with an official apology that was read by Akoi Mayor Rusty Johnson. Presently, publicly, and for the first time anywhere in the history of this city, this official apology is offered to the present city administration to foster goodwill through the recognition and acknowledgement of a tragic, tragic event of 100 years past. The tragic events that occurred were brought on by a combination social, economic, and political exploitation of the black community. This was one of the most egregious acts of cowardice and murderous behavior ever engaged in, a, in by a civilized society in that century. There will never be any words that can, can explain what, in a way, the actions of these men. Nothing can justify such terror. Today, November the 8th, 2020, we, the elected officials of the city of Oakwood, Florida, have chosen to invite each of you here to openly, publicly, and sincerely admit, acknowledge, and forever voice our displeasure over the inhumane acts of terror committed against the African-American community of Oakwood. Let us be clear 
and completely candid. Those of us gathered here today will forever bear testimony to the efforts of the city of Okoye and its citizens to move forward into the future, knowing that we are a culturally diverse, modern community with eyes set on conscious unification. Our unified hopes are that you will search deep within the consciousness of your hearts and souls in an effort to find the necessary humility to accept in good faith the sincere and genuinely offered apology on behalf of today's city of Okoye for the ungodly deeds of the forefathers of this community of Okoye in 1920. The acts of violence committed against your and all the African-American families of that day were horrible and unforgivable. So we today, duly elected officials, do solemnly implore each descendant collectively and individually to look at the situation that was then and as it is now. More realistically, we understand that there are those of you who are still being held emotionally hostage because of the negative deeds committed against your ancestors. But there is no one living here today that, we, that can be held responsible for any acts that were committed by those who lived and acted savagely towards the African-American community 100 years ago. Therefore, we, the elected officials of the city of Oakland, Florida, do hereby and herewith officially extend to each and every member of the community of Okoye of 1920 and to each descendant, both living today or deceased, our deepest apology for each and every atrocity that was committed against those individuals. We will no longer stand for complacency and put all rumors to rest that the city of Okoye remains in the past. We fervently vow that such inhumane and insensitive behavior will never again be demonstrated by any elected officials or employee of this city against any human beings regardless of their origin, race, color, religion, gender, age, disability, or sexual orientation. Never again. After a hundred years of the city largely avoiding the subject of the massacre, as well as avoiding handing out an apology, you could tell the simple act of acknowledgement of the past meant everything to those descendants on hand. It was a moment of acceptance, one in which was welcomed with open arms from the individuals looking for closure. Mayor Johnson, on behalf of the Hightower family, we accept. McCoy, city of McCoy, we accept your apology. I just want to say that I appreciate you all. all of and I can't wait to get back home to share what has happened here. I don't know what to say. Your hard work, I, I was telling Major Bill, hard work that you all have put in, your labor will not be in vain. One of my favorite scriptures, that's one of my favorite scriptures, be not weary, it will do it, or in due season, you shall reap, if you faint not there. Bill, the Diversity Board, McCoy, 
we shall reap. And I, one more thing I want to say is you gain a resident. So whenever I come here now, I won't be a visitor. I will be home. Thank you all so much. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Along with the apology came the unveiling of a new historic marker, dedicated to the victims of the 1920 massacre. The idea for the marker was a part of a proclamation that was read by Maxwell at a city commission meeting in November 2018. A proclamation that read in part, quote, let it be known that Akoe shall no longer be the sundown city, but the sunrise city, with the bright light of harmony, justice, and prosperity shining upon all of our citizens, unquote. Outside, on the southeast corner of Bill Breeze Park, descendants, government officials, and guests encircle the monument that's in front of them, as the rose petals placed at the foot of the marker are blown about by a warm breeze. It's solemn, quiet. The moment of silent remembrance is only broken up by the breeze before Maxwell takes the mic to speak about what it took to get to this point in time. Your presence here this evening speaks a message so great that it can never be erased in time. I dreamed this dream two and a half years ago when we were on the road in Montgomery, but I had no idea how it would materialize. I saw faceless faces and today those faces have materialized in your person and presence of being here. And I thank you on behalf of the city of Ocoee and the Human Relations Diversity Board. Although the violence and destruction that took place against the black community in 1920 cannot be undone by any means, the city coming to grips with its past is the necessary first step to a better future. Although many, including Maxwell, believe the city should have acted sooner, what is being offered now is something that Maxwell has fought so hard for since he first moved to Akoa years ago. This is a moment that could, and should, be a means of finally finding some sort of peace. As always, I'd like to take a minute here to thank Pam Schwartz and the Orlando Regional History Center, the late Lester Dabbs, Commissioner Oliver, Mr. Maxwell, and everyone else who has helped me in documenting this moment of local history. This may be the last episode of this particular series, but be sure to keep an eye out for future series that explore the area's many stories in a way only the observer can do it. Until next time, I'm Troy Herring, and this is Full Circle.